Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and supplemented them with research into ancient Egyptian history. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. The moon hung low over the Valley of the Kings, bathing the dunes in pale light. Setna had always preferred to travel at night, and not just to avoid the oppressive heat of the desert. When the world was still and dark, he felt that he could almost hear the whispers of the dead beneath his feet. The caravan slowed as it reached the sheer cliffs that rose from the desert. A square archway had been carved into the rock wall. Sedna's eyes sparked with excitement as he surveyed the hieroglyphs above the tomb's entrance. Death awaits whosoever enters this place. (laughs) This is it, my friends! He looked back to find his companions staring fearfully at the inscription. The men looked down at him and shook their heads. They would not be coming. Moments later, Setna crept alone through a narrow passage, guided by the light of his torch. The walls were covered in more hieroglyphs, spells to help the tomb's inhabitants pass through the duat, and curses to ward off grave robbers. Setna soon emerged into a cavernous antechamber. A massive sarcophagus sat on a large dais. The path to the platform was lined with stone statues, each with the body of a human and the head of a different animal. Setna knelt before them and drew a knife. He cut his palm and let the blood drip into the sand. <clears throat> Thoth, Horus, Bast, Anubis, Set, Isis, Osiris, Ra, gods of Egypt, hear my prayer. I am Setna Kamwas, son of Pharaoh, high priest of Ptah, I entered the tomb of Amenhotep, not for gold, but for knowledge. Let me pass unharmed that I might read from the Book of the Dead. Senna, death awaits. Sedna's hair stood on end as a gust of wind swept through the chamber. He had entered a hundred tombs and said this prayer a hundred times and had never gotten a response. But as the wind grew stronger, he thought he could hear a voice on the wind. Setna. Who's there? (laughs) Setna's eyes widened at the sound of heavy stones grinding together. Though he dared not lift his gaze, he somehow knew that the statues had all turned to face him. A cold voice echoed around him, loud and clear. We know you, Setna Kamwas. You know me? Your wife speaks of you often in her prayers. She asks for a child. My wife... If she has offended, I apologize. I know we should not have asked for more after being given so much, but we were desperate after the loss of our firstborn. Her prayers have been answered. You shall have a son. A son? 
He shall be called Zeosiris, for many are the wonders he shall do in Egypt. Uh, thank you. May I ask what god addresses me, that I may make offerings? Setna, your family is waiting. What? Now? Setna looked up as the sounds of the crying child reached his ears. It was impossible. This tomb had been sealed for over 200 years. But as he looked toward the dais, he saw a wicker basket that he was sure had not been there before. He crept toward it, and when he peered inside, his mouth fell open. An infant lay in the basket, wrapped in bandages of mummification. It squirmed like a living child, but a gap in the wrappings revealed rotting gray skin. What does this mean? Do not forget, Setna. Your son comes from Osiris, the keeper of the dead. To Osiris he belongs, and to Osiris he must return. No, please! Setna reached into the crib to seize the mummified child. The moment he touched it, it began to come apart in his hands. He stared in horror as it crumbled into dust. Not my son! You cannot take my son! <laughs> Setna shot up in bed. He was back in his house in Thebes. His wife slept soundly beside him, her belly swollen with child. It would not be long now. Not my son. Not my son. Not my son. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today we're discussing The Land of the Dead, a story that takes place during the New Kingdom period of ancient Egypt. It tells the story of the only two living mortals to visit the underworld and return to tell the tale. Coming up, we begin our story. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Egypt, land of the living, of ancient mysteries and secrets. For almost 30 centuries, it stood as the greatest power of the ancient world, essentially untouched by outside cultures. Since the very beginning, virtually the entire population has resided within a few miles of the Nile. The river provides the silt and water that allows life to flourish, but it also carries great danger home to 20-foot crocodiles, man-killing hippopotamus, and many species of venomous snakes. And on either side, endless expanses of desert, where you'll find little besides sun and scorpions and more snakes. With death so close at hand, it's no wonder that the ancient Egyptians were so focused on the afterlife. They believed that once the soul left the body, it had to pass through the duat, a dangerous night world haunted by demonic forces of chaos. Those that managed to cross the wasteland would reach the halls of judgment, where their lives would be weighed before a tribunal of the gods. Today's myth is the story of the only two living souls known to enter the land of the dead and return. It comes from the tales of Prince Setna, a work of literature from the late period of ancient Egypt. Its protagonist, Setna Kamwas, is believed to be a historical figure who was the fourth son of Ramses the Great. We told the first part of Setna's story in a previous episode of Mythology on the Book of Thoth. Setna was famous as a historian and archaeologist, and for entering old kingdom tombs in search of knowledge. Throughout Egypt, he was known as the man who did not fear the dead at least until his son was born. From the very start, it was clear that Setna's son was special. He could speak after only a few months and read by the time he was two. At three, people thought that he was five, and at five, they thought he was eight. And say Osiris was not merely intelligent. He understood writings that only the most learned priests could read and performed spells that gave pharaohs magicians trouble. When he turned seven, Setna began to search for tutors to train the boy. Wise men came from across Egypt for a chance to teach the amazing child magician, but it was well known in pharaoh's court that they hoped to learn even more from him. Setna's heart swelled with pride, but he was also worried. He feared his son was growing up too fast. One morning, Prince Setna stood on his balcony overlooking the city of Thebes, eavesdropping on one of Seosiris's lessons going on in the next room. From the sound of things, the lesson was going well, until... Apophis, the great serpent! What was that? Say Osiris? Hello, Father. Master Thutmose was feeling ill, so we ended the lesson early today. I heard a crash. Yes. He left in a hurry and knocked over a table. 
I'm not sure he will be feeling well enough to return. Perhaps you should look for a replacement. Say? What did you do? Nothing! I only read the scroll like he asked me to. Say? I might have read ahead a bit. You might have. But he was going so slow. He was having me turn a stick into a locust. How is that any fun? And the spell you read did what exactly? Turned his belt into an asp? Say, how many times? <laughs> belt into an asp? <laughs> Bye, Bata boy. I'm sorry, father. You know, Say, I had a few lessons with Master Thutmose myself when I was your age. Between you and me, I think an asp belt would suit him just fine. <laughs> but perhaps we won't tell your mother about this. As they were standing on the balcony, there came the sound of distant wailing. Sedna looked down to see a large funeral procession making its way toward the Nile. An ornate sarcophagus was being dragged by a pair of large bulls with gold rings on their horns. A column of priests walked behind the sarcophagus, chanting hymns and waving branches of incense, while a crowd of mourners followed close behind with baskets of offerings. A short ways beyond, there was a second funeral procession, but much, much smaller. So small that at first, Sedna assumed it was part of the other group. Two young men carried a stretcher with a body wrapped in a simple mat. An old widow followed behind them, weeping silently. It's a lot of things for a dead man, isn't it, Father? There are actually two processions there, say. The first is for a wealthy noble. Those boats will carry him up the Nile to the holy burial grounds north of here. The second procession must be for a poor laborer. No doubt he'll have to share a communal tomb. Osiris, said you, do what? What are you doing, Say? I said a prayer for you, Father, for when your time comes to pass into the netherworld. <laughs> I see. Did you ask that I go like the rich man? On the contrary, I ask that you would take the journey of the man who has nothing. I think you are confused, my son. Those offerings are not just for show. When the sun sets, those men's souls will begin their journeys through the land of the dead. The rich man's offerings will help him safely reach the Hall of Judgment. The poor man is unprotected. He will be lucky if his soul survives a single night. I know that, father. Then perhaps you misspoke. I did not. I wished that you would die like the poor man. Say Osiris, is that how you speak to your father? Go to your bedchambers and consider your words. You can come out when you're ready to take them back. <sighs> As you wish, father. That boy will be the death of me. That evening, Setna sat at the dinner table with his wife, Mehuseka, watching the sun dip toward the horizon. Seosiris had yet to emerge from his chambers. Setna was worried. Seosiris had always been a willful child. He had frightened away many of his tutors in the past, but he had always been respectful toward his parents. Setna knew that he should be firm with his son, but the thought of Seosiris sitting in his room, alone and hungry, ate at him, and he wondered if he'd been too harsh. 
Eventually, he could take it no more. He got up and went to Say Osiris's room. Say, it's me. Why don't you come down to dinner? Say? Setna was surprised to find his son's room empty. When he looked out the window, he saw a column of white smoke rising from the temple of Osiris. What is he up to now? As Setna crossed the courtyard toward the shrine, he smelled burning incense and heard the faint sound of someone talking inside the shrine. Kat, Sahu, Ib, Ka, Ba, Shut. Are you in here? Say Osiris! I told you to stay in your bedchamber until. What are you doing? Say Osiris was standing just in front of the altar. A burning cedar branch sat on the stone table, releasing the white smoke that curled through the shrine. He had drawn a circle on the floor around himself and the altar. As Setna stepped into the circle, Say Osiris lifted his cupped palm to his lips and blew a handful of powder into the fire. Sekum, Ren, Uk! There was a loud bang and a flash of light as the fire flared up and then went out in an instant. Setna was thrown to the ground as the walls and floor of the shrine shook violently. Slowly, the rumbling stopped and the temple became still again. Setna peered through the thick smoke that now filled the temple, searching for his son. <coughs> say, say Osiris! Though the fire had gone out, the shrine was still not completely dark. Setna pressed through the haze toward the source of the light. As the smoke slowly cleared, he came to a stop and his mouth fell open. Setna had seen many unusual things in his life, but he had never encountered anything as strange as the scene before him now. Setna's own body lay on the stone floor of the shrine, limbs rigid, eyes frozen in a glassy stare. The small body of Say Osiris lay beside him. But the strangest thing of all was the doubles. Two spectral figures hovered above the bodies. They were the perfect mirrors of Setna and Say Osiris, but translucent and shimmery. Embers of flame hovered above each of their heads, producing the faint light that filled the shrine. Unlike the bodies on the floor, they appeared to be completely conscious. As they stared at Setna, he got the sense that they were just as confused as he was. As Setna stared at the two versions of himself, a strange thought occurred to him. If his senses were to be believed, it seemed that he was looking at both his own body and his own soul. But if that were true, then what in Ptah's name was he? Coming up, Setna's attempts to rein in his magical son lead to a world of trouble. 
Hi, listeners. To celebrate our favorite month, Parcast Network is releasing a slate of new shows leaning into all things spooky and spine-tingling. And now we're bringing you an original series called Superstitions, featuring the origins and impacts of our most unusual beliefs and the stories of those who dare to defy them. Every week on Superstitions, hear a new drama that illustrates the eeriness and unlocks the mysteries of humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Like holding your breath while passing a cemetery so you don't wake the dead and make them jealous, or carrying the foot of an animal known to have an evil eye, or using iron to keep away the devil. They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of spooky October programming to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Many aspects of ancient Egyptian beliefs have puzzled scholars and historians for centuries, but few seem as strange and foreign to us as the Egyptian conception of the soul. The ancient Egyptians saw the human person as being made up of many interconnected parts. There was the kat, or physical body, and the ka, a spiritual self that has been described as the person's life essence. And that was just the beginning. There was also the ba, a second, soul-like entity depicted as a bird with a human head. Then there was the Ak, a transcendent spirit of light, the Shut, or shadow, the Sahu, a ghost self able to visit the living in their dreams, the Eeb, or heart, the Ren, or name, and many more. Some parts of the Egyptian soul are still not truly understood, but each one had a vital role in the individual's journey throughout the afterlife. While the Ka undertook the literal journey through the Duat, the Ba was able to move back and forth between the physical body and the land of the dead, delivering crucial food offerings left by the family of the deceased. But from the moment the Ka stepped into the land of the dead, it was on a ticking clock. It had to reach the Hall of Judgment and gain admittance to its final resting place before the physical body completely decayed. If it failed, or if the Council of Gods deemed it unworthy, the person's body and soul were believed to be lost to eternity. Setna's mind reeled as he struggled to comprehend the scene before him. It was one thing to see his own immobile body lying on the floor of the temple, quite another to see his own ghostly spirit hovering above it. But that wasn't what bothered him most. The spirit of his son, Seosiris, was hovering above his own body, which was also lying immobile on the floor. Say? I'm here, father. 
The voice had not come from the boy's body or from his ghostly double, but from behind Setna. The father slowly turned and stared. A third Seosiris stood before him now. At least it had the head and face of Seosiris. From the neck down, it had the body, wings, and talons of a golden-feathered hawk. Setna reached for his son instinctively and jumped from surprise. His own arms were not arms at all, but wings. Looking down, he discovered that he too had the body of a great golden bird. What in the name of Pata? Say, what have you done to us? Nothing that cannot be undone. I've merely separated our souls into their individual parts. These bird bodies are our ba, the truest form of our souls. Our ka will keep guard over our physical bodies until we return. Return? Return from where? <laughs> Truly, father, one would think you had never read from the Book of the Dead. Where else could we be going? Say, wait, say Osiris, do not fly away from me while I'm talking to you. But Seosiris had already lifted into the air and was soaring up towards the raptors of the temple. Without stopping to think what he was doing, Setna spread his own wings and chased after the boy. There was a small, star-shaped opening in the ceiling meant to release the smoke from the incense burners. Setna saw Seosiris disappear through it and followed after him. The next thing he knew, Setna was soaring through the evening sky, with the city of Thebes stretched out beneath him. Darkness covered Egypt, save for a gash of red at the edge of the western desert. Down below, the lights of the night market were just beginning to come to life. A huge grin spread over Prince Setna's face as he soared over his home. For a brief moment, he felt a sensation of deep calm, unlike anything he had ever known. It was as though he were one with the sky and all of creation below. The moment passed. Setna searched the sky until he found Seosiris's bird-shaped silhouette. The boy was flying west as fast as his wings would carry him. The sun had already disappeared behind the mountains, but its last rays were just visible through the pass they called the Gap of Abydus. Within moments, the pass would swallow the sun completely and plunge the land of Egypt into night. It was toward that gap that Seosiris was flying now. Setna could not imagine what his son was up to, but the sight chilled him to the bone. He took off after the boy, or at least he tried to. It quickly became clear that flying was easy, as long as he let the wind carry him wherever it wanted to go, but that directing himself was not intuitive in the slightest. He rolled and tumbled awkwardly through the sky, battling the air flurries and currents. Nevertheless, he was slowly but surely gaining on his son. By the time Setna caught up with him, Seosiris had almost reached the mountain pass. The sun was now just the thinnest sliver of red. It looked not unlike the hole they had passed through in the roof of the family shrine. Setna reached out, and his talons closed on the boy's golden tail feathers. The action threw Seosiris off balance, causing him to suddenly plummet. Setna held on tight, 
father and son hurtled through the pass just as the sun disappeared beneath the horizon and everything went dark. Without warning, Setna was plunged into icy black water. He felt Seosiris slip through his talons. When he reached to grab him again, the boy was gone. He flailed about desperately for the surface, but his wings made swimming impossible, and it was so dark that he could not tell which way was up or down. Then a hand closed around Setna's neck, and he felt himself being lifted from the water. <coughs> a moment later, his body crashed against a solid wood floor. He lay there for a moment, gasping for air. Hmm, what do we have here? Set, Anubis, we have an intruder. Setna opened his eyes and found himself staring into the yellow eyes of a large black cat. Before he could move, she straightened up to full height. The Catwoman stepped back and two more figures appeared alongside her. Both had the bodies of human men and the heads of canines, a black jackal on the left and a hound-like creature with red fur on the right. As terrified and disoriented as he was, Setna realized that he recognized all three of them. I... I know you. You're Anubis, the jackal-headed god of mummification, and you're best, the cat goddess, and Set, god of storms. Please, I am Prince Setna, son of Pharaoh and high priest of Ptah. I have prayed to you all my life. Very good, little prince, but I'm afraid you are not where you should be. We shall have to see what Lord Osiris wishes to do with you. Osiris? Where is Say Osiris? I warn you, the great god of death does not appreciate those who threaten the balance of Ma'at. And I cannot think of anything more unbalanced than a living soul in the Duat. Before Setna could respond, the cat-headed goddess picked him up and thrust him into a metal birdcage, locking the door behind him. Setna hopped around the tiny enclosure, flapping his waterlogged wings. Wait, please! You have to let me out of here! I have to find my son! You are not going anywhere, little prince. I suggest you relax and enjoy your journey. With that, the three gods turned and strode away from the cage. Setna stared out through the bars. For the first time since emerging from the water, he was able to clearly take in his surroundings. He was on the deck of a river barge making its way down a black river. The wooden hull was covered in ornate carvings and inlaid with emeralds, amethyst, and gold. A dozen animal-headed gods walked the deck, holding spears and long oars, which they used to propel the vessel forward. On either side of the river, a vast, dark desert reached out toward eternity, marred by jagged rock formations and ancient, crumbling structures. The sky overhead was an inky black sea, devoid of moon or stars. 
In fact, the only light in the entire place seemed to be a lantern hanging from the stern of the ship. Just below the lantern, a large stone sarcophagus rested on the deck. Sedna had seen thousands of sarcophagi through his life, from every age of Egypt, but none as glorious as this. It was twice as tall as a regular man, and every inch was inlaid with gold, turquoise, jasper, and lazuli. The coffin's face was carved in the shape of a hawk's head, with a large disc for a crown. Sedna knew that image well, just as he knew Bast, Anubis, and Set. He had seen its image painted inside tombs and erected as statues inside temples. It was the image of Ra, the god of the sun, and this, apparently, was his funeral barge. A chill ran up Setna's spine as he turned away from the sarcophagus to survey the otherworldly landscape around him. He knew now where he was. He had pictured it many times, but only in his dreams. This was the land of the dead. Coming up, a father and son journey into the depths of the netherworld. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. To the ancient Egyptians, the Duat, or Land of the Dead, was synonymous with night. At the end of each day, the sun god Ra would die, and his river barge would carry him into the netherworld. For twelve hours, the world was plunged into a nightmarish mirror version of itself. The Egyptians' understanding of this underworld was incredibly detailed, but not entirely consistent. Remember, ancient Egyptian civilization lasted for 3,000 years, almost 800 years longer than everything that has happened since. It's inevitable that their religious beliefs evolved somewhat in that time span, and as a result, not every version of the Duat is the same. That said, the crucial details of the Land of the Dead remain remarkably consistent through the majority of our ancient sources. There are 12 regions of night, one for each hour, and Ra's funeral barge passes through each of them as it carries his body through the desolate landscape. The souls of the newly dead ride as passengers on this barge, awaiting the final judgment in Osiris's hall. But the judgment of the gods was far from the only danger that stood in their path. The Duat was home to older things, darker things, creatures of chaos that had existed since the dawn of time itself. If given the chance, they would end the cycle of rebirth forever and plunge the living world into everlasting night. 
Say Osiris soared over the river of death, scanning the dark waters for any sign of his father. Things had been going so well, the spell had worked exactly as he had expected, separating their souls from their physical bodies. Stripped down to their ba, the father and son appeared as hawks with human heads. Knowing that there was no time to waste, Seo Cyrus had flown west and followed the setting sun into the land of the dead. And then everything had gone wrong. His father had grabbed his tail, throwing them both off balance and causing them to crash into the river of death. When Seo Cyrus had emerged again, his father was gone. The sound of funeral drums drew Seo Cyrus's attention to the surface of the water. A long, finely crafted river barge was carrying a company of gods down the river. This was the Mesectet, the solar barge of Ra, which carried the sun god across the sky each day. Now it was a funeral vessel, ferrying the god's lifeless body through the Duat. Along with its divine passengers, the vessel carried a small horde of spectral human figures that looked just like the doubles Setna and Seosiris had left back in the land of the living. These were the Ka of the men and women who had died the previous day and who were now taking their first journey through the land of the dead. Seosiris did not know how he knew these things, but that was not unusual. All his life, there'd been things he understood that he could not explain. But from the moment he had passed into the netherworld, something had been different. The desolate landscape filled him with a strange and overpowering sense of familiarity. It was like stepping into a memory from a dream. A sudden movement at the rear of the Mesectet caught his eye. He swooped down closer to see what it was, and his heart leapt. His father was locked in a birdcage on the deck of the ship. None of the gods seemed to be watching the cage at the moment, so Seo Cyrus landed beside it. What are you doing in there, father? Say? Thank Pata, you're all right. I thought... It doesn't matter what I thought. Quick, before anyone sees you, see if you can open the door to this cage. It's locked. I expected as much. But that's all right. I'll figure something out. Listen, son, you need to go back. Do you hear me, Seo Cyrus? Fly straight back the way we came and wait for me at the temple. But I can't go back the way we came, father. The gate of night is shut and will remain shut until the sun sets again tomorrow evening. Then you'll just have to wait there until it does open. But father, that won't work. If we don't rejoin our bodies by dawn, we'll be trapped in the netherworld forever. We'll what? I thought I told you. You did not? Well, that's hours away anyhow. We've got plenty of time before the Mesectet reaches the gates of dawn. Oh, but look, father, there they are. Seo Cyrus had begun hopping around animatedly. He pointed a wing toward the bow of the ship where the human Ka were milling about. A tall, bald man dressed in lavish crimson robes and weighed down in fine jewelry sat on a bench along the railing, nibbling a loaf of bread. An older man sitting beside him watched him hungrily. 
This man was dressed in thin rags, and his hands and face were worn from decades of hard labor in the fields. The rich man noticed him staring and quickly stuffed the loaf back into the satchel slung over his shoulder. Look there, father. Don't you see them? It is incredible to see the gods walking before us. But stay away from them, son. It was Bast herself who locked me in here. Not the gods. The men we saw being buried today. That one in the fine robes over there is the rich man from the grand procession. And the man beside him in beggar's rags. He is the poor man who had nothing. Is that what this is about? You've severed our souls from our bodies and crossed into the Duat because of our argument? What were you thinking? I wanted to show you why the poor man's fate is better than the rich man's, so you wouldn't be angry with me anymore. Oh, say, I knew those tutors were a bad idea. We should never have exposed you to such dangerous magic. You clearly are not ready. But I didn't learn it from them. As soon as we get out of here, I'll... Say, Osiris, what are you doing? Get back here before someone sees you. Say Osiris had already pushed off from the deck, his brow furrowed as he rose into the dark sky. His father never listened to him. Why couldn't he see that Say Osiris knew what he was doing? His tutors, the priests and magicians, they had all come to see him as an equal. Even Pharaoh had spoken to him with respect the one time they had met. But his father still insisted on treating him like a child. He would just have to show him otherwise. Say Osiris circled the barge, studying the figures on the deck. His father had said that Bast had locked him in the cage. Finally, he found her. The cat-headed goddess was standing at the bow of the ship, hands folded behind her as she stared ahead into the duat. Sure enough, a small gold key hung on a string around her neck. He would have to be quick. Say Osiris folded his wings and dropped like a stone. He plummeted toward the Mesectet boat, gaining speed with each passing second. Wind whipped his hair and feathers, stinging his eyes, but he did not shut them. He knew his father was watching. He was almost there. He could see every strand of fur on the back of Bast's head. He could even make out the knot in the string tied around her neck. It happened in a fraction of a second. One moment, Say Osiris was reaching a talon for the back of Bast's neck. The next, he was staring into her yellow eyes. She reached out effortlessly and snatched him out of the air. Let me go! <laughs> oh no, little bird. I think not. Hmm, two birdies. Perhaps this changes things. We can balance Ma'at ourselves, but how to decide? Decide? Which of you to let go, and which to eat? <laughs> there was a sudden sound of groaning wood as the barge slowed. Powerful reverberations ran through the deck, causing several of the cospirits to stumble and fall. Slowly, the ship came to a stop. 
It was as if it had run aground, though they were still in the center of the river. Say Osiris felt Bast's grip tighten on his throat. She glanced around, eyes wide with fear. No, it can't be. It's too early. You're hurting me. It is. It's him. What have you done, little bird? The barge rocked violently as something erupted from the water directly ahead. Say Osiris, Bast, and the whole company of gods stared up in horror. An enormous black cobra towered from the river. With its hood splayed, its head alone was as large as the ship. Crimson eyes stared hungrily down at the passengers. It opened its mouth, revealing fangs as long as spears. Say Osiris stared up at the snake. For the first time in his life, he was truly afraid. Perhaps his father had been right. It was his last thought before the snake lunged. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. Join us as Sedna and Say Osiris race against time to defeat the great serpent Apophis, restore balance to reality, and escape the land of the dead, all before the sun rises. For more information on the land of the dead, amongst the many sources we used, we found Roger Lancelin Green's Tales of Ancient Egypt to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Bill Butts, Rebecca Thomas, and Jen Wong. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Superstitions for new episodes featuring our most unusual beliefs. Are they side effects of ancient folklore or truly the masters of our fates? Look closely and examine the writing on the wall. Superstitions airs every Wednesday, free on Spotify. 